So today we're looking at Ephesians 4, 17, 5, 2. Now you might notice uh, that we did this last week as well, but that's okay. I'll tell you what's happening after we've read this. Part 2. Part 2. Um, Andrew, are you okay to read this? <coughs> Just in a loud voice. Uh, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God. Far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live in lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to the like, to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let every, everything you say be good and helpful that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified, identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved and that the day of redemption. Get rid of all the bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all the types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He followed us, He loved us, and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Thanks, Andrew. <coughs> and thanks, Neil. I'll try and take control. So, so uh, let's just pray before we get started. Our Father, please open our hearts to your word. Transform our minds by your spirit. Mould us into the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you might notice that this is almost exactly the same passage as last week. Um, and it was originally split into two, but we'll just do two different takes on the same passage, which is actually a pretty cool thing to do. So. This is my take. You've heard Graham's take last week. This is my take. Um, before we get started, I have a couple of questions that I want to read ponder. The first one is this: After you give your life, after you give your life to Jesus and become a Christian. 
When are you transformed into a better person? <coughs> it's gradual. Gradual? Yeah. When does it start? Straight yes, away. Straight away? <coughs> Change is so it's it's happens right now. I think yeah. 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 So there's <coughs> uh, yeah, let's let's ask another question before we unpack this. How does the process so this process <coughs> of transformation is called sanctification. How does this process of sanctification Becoming more and more holy, sanctified. How does it work? Gradual yeah. and partly through suffering. Yep. Power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Are you taking an active change? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've found everything. That's Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, there is actually um, all of those are, are important ways, all three of those, are the three major ways that, that this passage actually talks about. But, but even though it's such a clear passage, and we've all sort of like all of the answers that we've given us spot on scriptural, biblical answers, and it makes me proud of renew, there is actually a um, there is a, a belief that's very, very common in the world, uh, and whole um, denominations, whole types of denominations believe this, that sanctification doesn't actually start straight away. Uh, we don't start being transformed. We can, when we become a Christian, we can just be a carnal Christian who's, who's justified, who's made right with God because of Christ's death, but who isn't holy, who isn't being <coughs> sanctified. At some point, that sort of carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian, has a crisis of faith, or well, a crisis, um, and they have to let go and let God, right? and the Holy Spirit enters into them and make, gives them a victorious life which they then have until they choose not to have a victorious life, and they might then decide later to have a victorious life. So they might bounce backwards and forwards between a victorious life and a carnal life. But it's one or the other. It's sort of this weird binary thing. So if you've heard carnal Christian, spiritual Christian, second blessing, spirit baptism, any of those terms, that's where they come from. I'm ashamed to say that we can blame John Wesley for <laughs> I come from a Methodist background, so it's a bit of a shame that Wesley got something wrong that he did, and that's this is one of them. And it's since Wesley, um, this this uh, misunderstanding has has grounded. For example, Pentecostalism. This is this is a Pentecostal model. This particular model shows how Pentecostals think about sanctification, and it shows why people can get quite frustrated. It's often called higher life theology, this view. Um, And uh, unfortunately, it's not biblical, and therefore, it's not realistic. So it's quite frustrating because of that 
picture that Paul presents in his famous passages in Romans, from Romans 6 to 8 or so, and here in Ephesians, actually can be diagrammed more like this. When you are saved, when you give your life to Christ, you start being transformed. You have a new life. And so your transformation uh, is an ongoing, progressive process that runs from our rebirth in Christ to the death of our body. And it's got ups and downs. Sometimes we go backwards and forwards as well. But it's not an all or nothing thing. So that's, that's what the process looks like in the big picture. How does it actually work in the detail? Um, <clears throat> in his book, Inside Out, who's read Inside Out by Larry Crowe? This predates the movie by quite a long way and it's quite different. It's, Larry Crabbe suggests that people think of two different paths to transformation. Path one there, you can see, involves meeting our external needs, the outer circle, first. And the fulfillment of our external needs then frees us or allows us to meet our deeper emotional needs, that inner circle. And once we have sort of fully expressed that and we're fully emotionally balanced or grounded or whatever, or mature, then we can address our spiritual needs. Path two, in contrast, works by having any satisfaction, any sort of uh, success in our external uh, or our relational needs stripped away so that we can focus on genuine and develop, uh, developing a genuine relationship with God. And that is the foundation upon which our relationships with others can flourish. And then finally, in heaven, our external needs can be fully met. Path one, starting from the outside in, is the path of secular materialism, the primary worldview of Australia recommends or lives on. Uh, whereas path two is, of course, Christian. So here's an example uh, of that primary, uh, that secular materialistic worldview. So I'm going to play a video. Uh, Neil's just going to get the Zoom ready so that Tim can enjoy this video. Um, and this, as you watch this video, think about how it's encouraging us to think about our, our external needs. Okay? Well, I had some... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Imagine, so, so, did you see what they were doing there? We've all missed out on these opportunities through this year to indulge in life's uh, sports, celebrations, eating out, etc. So, so now we should get shopping at Maya so that we can throw everything together and have a huge celebration that's bigger than Christmas. Has Maya accidentally suggested that combining all these opportunities for meeting your external and relational needs is bigger than the opportunity to meet the spiritual needs in Christmas? I don't think so. I think they're accurately representing secular materialism 
and how they think about the world. This is this is the Australian worldview. It's not an accident that they say that it's bigger than Christmas. Other religions too suggest that we work from the outside in. This is the approach of Buddhism, legalistic Judaism, and Islam. Almost every religion out there, actually, except for Christianity. Obey the rules, and you'll get better inside. And some versions of Christianity suggest that as well. Legalistic Christianity works that way. But does genuine Christianity work that way? No. No, of course it doesn't. <coughs> Christianity works from the inside out. Paul says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. That's how we're transformed. Of course, it doesn't stop with our thoughts and attitudes. Jesus taught his disciples that working from the outside in, such as ceremonially cleaning your hands before eating, or before any sort of thing that needed ceremonial cleaning, didn't make someone righteous or holy. Rather, changing their heart, the centre of their mind, that's what heart meant in that culture, was how they became holy. From the inside out. So how does the Spirit renew our minds? As Paul insisted, we must allow him to do. Paul expressed it very simply in the twin of the letter to Ephesus, the letter to the Colossians. In the passage that's parallel to the passage that we're looking at today, which exhorts us to be filled with the Spirit, Paul says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through you. Now we are... Fo- we're we have to focus on Jesus' work. That's what Paul's saying. Focus on the scriptures. Sharing it with one another and living it out as Jesus' ambassadors in this world. That, of course, is why teaching is such an important part of Christian practice. We really do believe that we are transformed by learning, by discipling, together at the feet of Jesus. That's, that's really at the heart of Christianity. Paul insists in verse 25 of Ephesians 4 that we are members of one another. So our transformation is mutually supportive. We're not being transformed off on our own like some sort of um, uh, redemption cowboy narrative or something. This is, this is it's what we're doing right now. We're working together in one another's transformation. Mm-hmm. Now, in case you think Paul or I are completely impractical and purely theoretical, verses 25 to 31 of them, and you'd be excused, think verses 21 to 35 of Ephesians 4 are practical examples of, of that sort of transformation. And this diagram represents the four transformations, actually five, that Paul discusses. 
Um, <coughs> Graham talked about these last week. So I'm not going to go into detail. I just want to point out the general progression that you can see through these different areas. First, as we're transformed in each of these areas, uh, we're not necessarily transformed <laughs> at the same rate. Some people will be better at lovingly telling the truth to others, and some will be better at <coughs> encouragement, for example. And someone who might be really good at lovingly sharing the truth might be really bad at encouragement. Let's just hope that the person that's bad at lying isn't good at encouragement, <laughs> because otherwise, <laughs> yeah, you can do that, go for it. Yeah. So, the second, the second thing to note, our progress won't always be forward. The term Paul uses uh, in introducing this section in verse 17 is peripateo, which means walk, or metaphorically live, or as it is in the NLT. And this word conveys the idea that godly life is intended to, to have motion to be headed towards a destination, to require effort and action, like walking. It's not a ride. We don't, we don't ride no longer as the Gentiles do. We walk no longer as the Gentiles do. No matter how much us modern people may love our cars, there is no sanctification car. So you don't have to do your, your, you don't have to get your driver's license for sanctification. Well, I'd like to get my driver's license. <laughs> Not for sanctification, though. Just for getting places. <coughs> we actually need to take every step with Jesus. We can't just let go and let God. We must trust God and get going. Third. I want you to notice the progression from a carnal or fleshly attitude of people in rebellion against God to those who have become godly. That's not merely a progression from being destructive and selfish to not being destructive, which is in the middle. The so, for example, it's not just a progression from stealing to not stealing, uh, it goes further than that, from stealing to its wholly opposite selfless generosity or generous sharing. So from lying to lovingly sharing the truth, from being controlled by anger to being able to release your anger out of love, from being abusive to being encouraging, from bitterness to forgiveness. So that's our calling, to immerse ourselves in God's Word, letting the Spirit use that to renew our minds, and so to walk with Christ, not ride with Him, to walk with Christ as His representatives in this dark world. You know, it always amazes me how God gives us so much responsibility. It puzzles me animates me. How he insists that we in, that we join him in his work, even though he's so much better at it than we are, and we mess it up a lot of the time. 
And here, we see that he even insists that we join him in the work of transforming our own characters. How amazing is that? What a patient and loving God we have. One who really cares about us. But equally amazing is how God uses that transformation to bring the good news to those who are still in rebellion against him. Jesus says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's our transformation acted out in the church, the church in the world, that is the most powerful witness to the world. Let's never forget that. Let us never give up encouraging one another to grow more and more like our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Just a reminder, Paul recognises that Christians are not perfect. But he insists that we should and can be on a path heading towards perfection. Let's take encouragement from that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, work in our hearts and minds. Transform us with your word. Take our rebellious natures and, and rework them into generous, loving, caring, encouraging, forgiving, tender-hearted characters. And let the world see that transformation and be drawn to you.